And I understand we had a little bit of audio difficulty with the announcements. You know, even NBC sometimes has audio difficulties. So here at New Hope Studios, we just had a little glitch. But uh, we're back with you. And we just encourage you to take a look at the comments. They will have the announcements. And you can go to the website. Big things happening next weekend with our drive-in church. And we have the devotion available. Go get them. And so we'll plan on that this next week. Let's dive into God's Word in John 20. If you have a Bible, it would be a good time to pick that up or go to your electronic version. And as we go to John 20, I'd like you to think about this. Some of us find our names in the Bible. There's Peter, John, James, Ruth, and Esther, and Mary. Unfortunately, my name, Thomas, is noted, a lot of people remember, doubting. Thomas, which has always bothered me a little bit, but I think this morning what I'd like us to think about is that doubt does not necessarily mean that we end poorly. Doubt can lead us to deeper faith. Now, it's the human condition to doubt. Sometimes we doubt when the Bible's difficult to understand, when we trying to figure out the Trinity or how God is sovereign. Sometimes we doubt when tragic things happen. 9-11, people die of coronavirus, car accidents, other kinds of ways that can shake us. Sometimes we doubt when we're disappointed. We have an expectation of something that's going to happen, like someone receiving a healing or finding a job, finding a life partner all the things, a thousand different ways that we can be dis disappointed in life. Sometimes we doubt when we're in pain. We build a wall. We don't want to expose ourselves. We don't want to be hurt again. Doubt is not the problem. Doubt can lead us deeper. But doubt can also lead us to despair. And there's a little bit of a debate, uh, yin and yang, that goes on as we're working through doubt. Now let's go over to John 20, beginning with verse 19. Jesus tells us that we have peace and purpose and power that's available to us, beginning with verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood, stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace is what we need, isn't it? And peace is what we have available to us. The disciples, remember, their knees were knocking. They had a shiver in their liver. They had all gone off, and they were hiding. They were expecting that any moment the temple police would come knocking on the door, and they would all be arrested or worse. And right there and right then, Jesus shows up. We don't know how he did this. He was in his post-resurrection body. But he showed up and he shocked them out of their minds. It says, verse 37 of Luke chapter 24, they were startled and frightening, thinking they saw a ghost. So Jesus says, peace be with you, which is a customary greeting of the time. But Jesus is communicating that peace is available. Peace, he says, not as the world gives, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. 
not as the world gives. And then these very comforting words, you remember, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Apostle Paul calls it a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus is saying to us, in this time in which we live in, peace is available. It's available to each and every one of us. Next, Jesus goes on and he talks about purpose, life purpose, that commission that he gives us called the Great Commission and other Gospels like in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples and in Mark chapter 16, 15 to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Here, this commission is given in John 20 and 21 when Jesus says, after this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed, it says, when they saw the Lord. Now, many commentators think, and I believe as well, that somehow or another, Jesus' scars are evident throughout eternity. It says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, that the Lamb of God who opens the seals was looking as if it had been slain. And so, one of the ways we recognize Jesus, I believe, is by the scars that he bore for us. Now, of course, the disciples are excited and they are interested in what's going on. So this is when Jesus gives them and us the Great Commission. He says in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus is sent and we are sent. This is our life purpose, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel with those that we interact with on a daily basis, those in our families, our friends, and around the world. Jesus says, you are my sent ones. This is our purpose. We have peace. We have purpose in Jesus. Now we have power in verse 22. That power that we need is from the Holy Spirit. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's an academic debate that goes on here among scholars on whether or not he was predicting the coming of the Holy Spirit or whether they actually received the Holy Spirit at that point. For us, though, it's the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit that matters that the Holy Spirit's available to us as counselor, as comforter. The Holy Spirit's available to us. He tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that power is also available to us. And then we have a powerful message. Verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. And we look at that verse and say, what is that all about? Jesus himself said over in Mark chapter 2, 7, or actually a disciple said this. They said, who can forgive sin but God? And of course, only God can forgive sins. But Jesus says that we have the opportunity, those who follow him can also say, your sins are forgiven. You say, how is that? Well, we know that on the basis of the forgiveness that's available in Jesus when someone trusts in Jesus, his death on the cross for their sins, his resurrection life, and by grace, by God's gift, receives that gift, which if you haven't ever taken that step, would be first and foremost of what you should do today. Jesus says, then we can say to a person, 
your sins are forgiven with the very confidence that Jesus talks about here. So we have a powerful message. Jesus said amazing things, and he said these things. He says the Holy Spirit is available, that our sins might be forgiven, that we have peace, that we have purpose in life. But sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we doubt. And this is what happened to Thomas. In verses 24 and 25, we begin to become acquainted with the next thing that happened in the story. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Then you remember what he said? He said, unless I see the very nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, he says, I do not believe. One of the great questions is, why was Thomas not there with the other disciples? Gospels don't answer that question. We're going to think about it a little bit today, but that's a question we have, and we don't know for sure if he was so frightened that he just left town and got out of there. But what we do know is that because he wasn't there, he missed out, and that missing out can lead to doubt. That when we don't show up in fellowship, it can lead to doubt. He missed out on a supernatural encounter with Jesus. He missed out because he didn't show up on Sunday. He had to go through a week of pain and suffering all by himself. Now, friends, we are suffering the strain of not being together, not being able to worship together in person. We're very thankful for this vehicle through the Internet through Facebook Live to be able to do worship and be together, but we all know that it's not quite like being here in person, and so we're really going to appreciate, aren't we, that day when we can shake hands and give a hug to each other and encourage and speak in person to one another. But the point for this morning is that when we don't show up for worship, we don't show up at the opportunities to go out and serve and to be involved in mission, we miss out. We miss out on encountering Jesus. We miss out on growth. We miss out on the experience of what God's doing in and through our lives. Again, it's not bad that Thomas doubted. The question is what he did with the doubt. What was bad was that at that point in time, Thomas was not putting himself in a position to resolve that doubt. It's okay to doubt. It's not okay to give up when you doubt. It's not okay to pull back when we doubt. It's not okay to stop looking for answers when we doubt. Doubts come. Doubts happen in many kinds of ways. And we're going to talk about some of these kinds of ways a little bit more. We're going to dive back into a few different verses in John to think a little bit more about Thomas and about ourselves. Because not all doubt is intellectual. In fact, a lot of doubt is not intellectual. Doubt is emotional. Doubt happens in our hearts. Doubt happens as we think and respond and feel. Now, all the disciples had failed Jesus on the night of his arrest and his trial. And you remember Peter, most notorious, in that he denied the Lord three times. And Thomas was one of the people that had been disappointed disappointed in himself, perhaps. And the unique thing about Thomas is that 
as we look back in John chapter 11, verse 16, we find that Thomas was very committed. He was a disciple who was committed to follow Jesus. Thomas and Peter had given outspoken loyalty to Jesus before the crucifixion. Jesus had said that he was going to go to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. And some of the disciples began to talk and say, well, it's too dangerous. And so in John eleven sixteen, 16, Jesus, uh, uh, Thomas says, well, let us go, that we also may die with him. And so a part of thinking about Thomas is thinking about the fact that here was someone who was very committed and that when he disappointed Jesus, that as he was disappointed in himself, he had high expectations for himself. And when he didn't follow through on those expectations, there's a kind of a doubt that came into his life. Peter, he's the optimist. He's the one who um, he could easily just change on a dime. But Thomas, he was committed, and now he's just so upset with himself. And many of us have high kinds of expectations for ourselves. And what happens when we disappoint ourselves, when we don't really follow through and follow Jesus in the way that we deeply desire, we disappoint ourselves, and that can lead to doubt. If you're wired like Thomas, you have to be careful about that relationship and that view of yourself in the midst of failure, in the midst of expectations that don't happen. So that's one of the ways that doubt can happen is disappointing, disappointment in ourselves. Another way is disappointment with others. Again, all of the disciples were not exactly understanding what was going to happen with the crucifixion. Even though you remember Jesus constantly reminded them that he was going to the cross, that the cross was the place where sin would be forgiven. The cross is the place where reconciliation takes place. None of them really expected what would happen, including Thomas. And so Thomas, after Jesus is crucified, you can see that what is first and foremost in his mind what is what happened to Jesus. The nail marks and the wound in Jesus' side. And it sent him into a kind of shock that he had as he recalled the mangled body of Jesus as he recalled the blood of Jesus wounds the holes in his hands and feet the gory spear the disfigurement of his body his back and his face the scourging and the crown of thorns and, and this is all he can think about and when he thinks about it he's disappointed we have disappointments that take place unanswered prayers, things we expect. We ask and we ask and we ask and we pray and we pray and we pray and these things don't happen and we become disappointed and that can lead to doubt. We think, God, if you're God of love, why didn't this happen? Why isn't he or she healed? Why, is, why did that door close and slam it on my face? So disappointment with ourselves, with others, with our circumstances. Can lead to doubt. Suffering, related to this is suffering can lead to doubt. Some of you know that I did my doctoral project on 
ways we grow during times of suffering, but we also know that suffering can cause doubt and suffering can cause lots of pain. You remember Job in the midst of his struggle with the suffering he has experienced. He cried out to God. But in the midst of that one day, he said in Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand upon the earth. But there was a lot of hard work for Job to get to that point. And for us, as we go through times of suffering, there's doubts that creep in, there's struggles that creep into our thinking and our emotions. And so we, we ask those questions, why now, God, what's going on? How long, God? Why me, God? We doubt whether God knows best. So I learned something back when we used to go to the ocean front, and we'd go out into the ocean and try to catch waves and do body surfing and things. Sometimes the waves would come along, and as a new body wave surfer, Sometimes the waves would slam me, and I discovered and learned that if I just ducked down into the water, under the wave, the wave would go over me. And when doubt comes, when struggles come during times of trial, one of the ways that we work through that is by going deeper, by going deeper with God, by going deeper with God's love. That's some of the answer to the issue of suffering. Now, it's also a time to go deeper in relationship with others. And as we saw with Thomas, the tendency is to pull back. The tendency is to put up a wall. When the very thing that we need for healing is to enter deeper into relationship with God and others. And doubt produced by suffering is resolved through relationship through that thing that oftentimes we feel like, I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if I can go there. Doubt, when suffering comes, is resolved through a person, through a relationship, first and foremost with Jesus, but also with others who care, others who ask good questions, others who help us to work through those emotions that, are, that we're going through. And then... Confusion can lead to doubt, and I mentioned a little bit about this already. We're going to go back now to John chapter 14. We remember that when Jesus went to the cross and began to talk to his disciples about what was going to happen, particularly the night before his departure from, from planet Earth, and he told his disciples in John 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Again, lots of confusion going on. And so in John 14, 5, Thomas, the very Thomas we're talking about, says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Because Jesus is saying, you're going to come. You're going to follow. And Thomas is saying, we don't know. I'm glad he asked because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So once again, the way is through a person, first and foremost, through the person, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this is the way, through relationship, he says, with me. Now over in John 20, says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
on the Emmaus road. You remember what Jesus said to the men on the Emmaus road? He rebuked them. He said, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So, some of our doubts come from not understanding God's word. There are hard things to understand. The book of Revelation is hard to understand. There are hard things to put into practice. It's hard to follow through and follow Jesus in the way that we ought to. Over in John chapter 6, verse 60, it says that Jesus began to talk about some hard things and that many who were following him left them. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and asks if they would go away also. And there's a verse in John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, that has often been a great help to me, and I believe it will to you. And it says this, Peter gave this great answer. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And times when I've struggled, one of the things I've said is, Lord, to whom else can I go? Where else can I go? Where else can we go except to Jesus? Peter goes on, he says, you have words of eternal life. We have believed, we come to know you are the Holy One of God. And that's back in John chapter 6. And they still hadn't completely figured it out, but they were on the way. Now this was the part of the doubt that Thomas was also struggling with. And in some ways, this is the easiest doubt to resolve because this is a doubt of understanding and lots of us have worked through some of those kinds of questions. Frank Morrison was a British lawyer and he decided that he was going to prove that Jesus had not risen from the dead. And so he began to do research and he decided he was going to write this book about this superstitious tale of history about Jesus rising from the dead. He began to sift through all the historical materials, began to investigate whether it could happen or not, and he did write a book. He wrote a book in which he lays out the evidence for the resurrection. And in fact, the name of the book is Who Moved the Stone? This is the question that he came to, was there's no way to resolve that question except the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now you can find these kinds of resources online. You can find it in books. Josh McDowell has evidence that demands a verdict. That was an important book for me as I was resolving some of these questions. Also his More Than a Carpenter is also a good book. And then there's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Let's go on to verses 26 through 31. So it says a week later after his disciples were in the house again, Thomas was with them. This time Thomas is with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, he says, Peace is here. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. As I was studying this this past week, I was struck by just the way that Jesus says, Just Plunge your hand in. That's kind of the force of it. He says, just do it. Put it in my side. Stick it in. Now, I don't know if Thomas actually did that, but Jesus is saying, 
I'm here. I died for you. I love you. These wounds show my love for you, my forgiveness available for you. And John 20, verse 28, Thomas says, My Lord and my God. One of the great expressions of truth in Scripture, uh, the fact that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is God come in the flesh. He's not a prophet. He's not just a carpenter. He is my Lord and my God, the cry of faith. Doubt comes into our minds, doubt comes into our hearts, and then that doubt can shake our faith. And so Jesus tells them, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. And then I love this next line. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's you and me. That down through the centuries, even though we're not there in person with Jesus, the fact is that God reveals himself through the scriptures and we can come to believe and we are blessed as well. No, we don't have scientific evidence of Jesus rising from the dead because it's a one-time event. Those of us who have studied science know that you can do experiments and a scientific experiment shows repeatable occurrences of certain phenomena, but the resurrection is a one-time event and so we have to go to the witnesses, the gospel writers, who clarify and testify of the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And then the key verse in the Gospel of John. This is where we're going to end this series. It's been a great series, hasn't it? And I hope you've been following along in your devotional book, and I hope you've been listening to the messages and responding to Jesus and growing and preparing as God works in your heart and your life. Key verse, verses 30 and 31 of John 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God has given us power in the Holy Spirit. He's given us purpose in our lives. He gives us peace that's available. And so he invites us. He says, as we come to God's word, as we respond to him, he tells us the whole purpose in writing this gospel is that we might see the evidence that leads to faith, that we might respond to him. I remember that there was a point, there was a point in my life that I came to realize that the single most important issue in life was figuring out whether or not the resurrection had taken place or not. If it was true, then Jesus was and is who he said he was. And it is true. I suppose you could say, as I've been saying this morning, that I doubted and then had that doubt resolved. What I'm also saying, though, is that doubt is not just an issue of the head. That it's an issue of the heart, of emotions, and depending on the kind of doubt we have, whether it's disappointment, whether it's suffering, there are other ways that we have to work through those doubts. And a part of the way we work through those doubts is through relationships. When we feel like we have to back off and withdraw, that's the time when we need to go deeper and grow closer. Doubt is not just something that takes place in our head. It's something that takes place in our heart 
as well. And in some ways, I've found down through the years that the doubt of the heart is harder to resolve than the doubt in my head, that it takes courage to enter in, to open up, be transparent, to enter in with others, to be open to God's transforming work in my life. It takes courage to enter into relationships. So, friends, this is what we're inviting you to, into today. Relationship with Jesus, a deeper relationship with others. Will you take those, those bold steps? Are you willing and open? Where when doubt creeps in, to open the door, to go deeper, to open the door, to go and have a relationship with others and with God that helps you to work through those emotions in your own life. Doubt can be overcome. Peace, power, purpose is available. And these are written that you might believe and have life in his name. That's my prayer for you and me. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for these dear ones who are listening. Thank you for each one of us that you show us and lead us and whisper to us of your love, of your truth. Give us the courage to open both our minds and our hearts to who you are. Give us the courage to speak up to others when we're hurting. Give us the courage when we've shut down to open up and to work through emotions that pull us away from where life exists in a relationship with you, in relationships with others. Show us those things that we struggle with in our minds, that there is evidence to trust in you, to follow you, and then give us the courage to do so, we pray, in faith, in this day, this week. It's in Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. Please continue in worship with us.
Shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Thanks for joining us this morning. It was wonderful to worship with you again. Um, we're excited to see you next week for Drive-In Church. And um, we just hope that you have a wonderful week in between. God bless. We'll see you later.